Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Muradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us now is Tony Long, who is the innovation manager at Northrop Grumman headquarters, who founded the company's first fab lab in a warehouse on the outskirts of the company's legendary space park complex in El Segundo in sunny California. Tony, thanks again for joining us. And it was an absolute pleasure seeing the place uh, when we were out in California in December. Yeah, it was great having you there. I, I love giving tours of that place. It's, it's real special to me. So it was fun to have uh, you. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage, Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, and Huntington Ingalls Industries sponsored our coverage of the Surface Navy Association's recent conference and trade show. It's a, it really is an extraordinary facility. You started that with the modest goal of better connecting engineers to each other to help solve problems, uh, both work problems, but also, hey, if you have a home project or you got a kid who's uh, into racing uh, on you know drones and, and, and things like that. Uh, but in turn, it sort of helped change the culture in Space Park. It's helped change the culture in the sector. And it's also helping now change the culture across one of the world's greatest uh, aerospace and, and defense companies. Talk to us a little bit about why you started the Fab Lab and what your initial goal was. Because the Fab Lab, for people who don't know, is the fabrication laboratory, right? Uh, uh, but uh, give, us, give us why you started it and what you hoped it would achieve. Yeah, so I, I've been interested in engineering since I was a, a young child. And you know, my garage sort of was, or my parents' garage, uh, grandpa's garage sort of thing was, was where I got to experiment and build things. And you know, I, I brought that tradition with me into the company. And at some point in my career as an electrical engineer, I was building things at home to help me at work, you know, fixtures and jigs and things like that, because it was easy for me to use my own milling machine and just hammer these things out. Um, and so the Fab Lab really got started in a sense to solve that problem, which was giving engineers the tools they need to do quick prototypes, to, do, to build the test aids that they need. Um, and it was, it was this idea that we wanted to democratize access to those tools, you know, bring it out from the domain of uh, subject matter specialists, because certainly there's, there's a need for those when, when we do high precision things or things that get delivered to customers, we want those to be really good. But if you need a 20% solution or an 80% solution, you can oftentimes do that yourself. And, you know, there was this, this great thing that happened in the sort of late uh, 2000s, where there was this explosion of information training available and a simplification of tools, where it became possible and accessible for a large number of people to use things like milling machines, uh, laser cutters, 3D printers. Right. And so there was this great opportunity to bring all these things together, to bring these tools to the workforce and to create this space where people could experiment and, and learn. And right to point out to, to folks who may not know this, every time you job these out, they're actually expensive. They're time consuming. You didn't get it exactly right. So now you got to spend another couple of grand sending it out again to a machine shop outside. And it's much, much easier if, if you have the skills to sort of do it uh, yourself, right? So you're, you're cutting cycle time, you're cutting cost, uh, actually. Um, but one of the other things you were doing is the Fab Lab then became a place where such diverse talent 
is coming into, right? I mean, because now you've got old-timey retirees who are bringing stories from programs they worked on decades ago that you would not have otherwise interacted with. How is this becoming actually a collaboration space that's on a wholly different order than just being a, you know, a place where people who like to mill stuff go? Right, right. Yeah, so it was a real conscious decision for us to really build community with our Fab Lab. We dedicated about a third of the space to uh, our, our collaboration space, which is tables and chairs and you know, space for people to, to get together and share knowledge. Um, it is routinely used for that. We have people teaching classes on all kinds of things. Um, you know, we have a, a retiree that works in there now, and he comes in every week, teaches woodworking classes, and then gets access to the lab after hours for, for personal projects. And we really think that that dynamic is important to encourage people to work on their personal projects because it brings in the numbers. You need people there. You need them working on things that are of relatively low consequence because that's how you break down those barriers between people. Um, and, and so, you know, whether it's the retiree coming in and sharing, you know, their, their techniques or the new employee coming in and showing retirees how to write an app for a smartphone, this is the, this is the sort of collision of, of knowledge that really builds uh, very, very rich tribal uh, capabilities within the company. And, and it, it goes right well beyond just the engineering chops or the woodworking chops, right? Or the, or the machining chops. You're also sharing all sorts of uh, program management, right? Engineering. There's a whole bunch of richness that you all are sharing that go beyond just the technicalities of the thing. Right, right. And, and, a really interesting thing happens when we run a hackathon in our makerspace because it, it takes that engineering management and compresses it down to a you know eight or 24 hour long period and it forces people to see the consequences of things so a lot of times we'll get engineers in there and and they'll want to do their their work but then they realize when they're starting to work with other people that they've got to really think carefully about how to architect their process and this really, I think, flows nicely into how we're trying to re-architect our processes to take advantage of digital transformation. We are able to experiment with those techniques in the Fab Lab. We're able to you know, sort of break the system without affecting anything. And, and the, the Fab Lab is a great place to, to start experimenting, experimenting with those things. And, and you know, we see great results coming out of that in, in lots of different ways, whether it's you know, experimenting with uh, photogrammetry and digitizing as-built parts and, and modifying the, the process of, of fabrication and assembly. These are all things that are sort of happening in our, in our makerspaces. Talk to us about how you guys started, obviously, in Space Park and, uh, you know, on the fringes there of the uh, historic uh, former TRW complex uh, and, and how it's actually changing the company and how it's proliferated across Northrop Grumman and how it's actually moving the needle in terms of, of, of how you guys, as you said, right, it, it, it started with changing processes at a business unit, at a sector, and now it's being applied across the company. Yeah, so we started at, at our first uh, site, our, our flagship site is at Space Park. Um, and we're over in kind of the warehouse district. It's a scrappy kind of area, but it was a, an old shipping and receiving area, big warehouse, fantastic location for doing things that, uh, you know, are going to break. Um, we built that up <laughs> really quickly, right? And, and we got several thousand employees from, from our one site engaged as members. They've gone through the training and you know, have participated in, to some extent. 
And that was noticed, right? Anytime you get lots of employees together working on something, that, that gets noticed. And so leadership said, okay, this is working really well here. Let's spread this out to other sectors, uh, or sorry, to other sites in the sector and you know, sort of build this network. Uh, that became my full-time job at that point was, was spreading this. Um, then shortly after, other sectors started hearing about what we were doing. And to this day, I get emails periodically saying, hey, can you help us start up a new fab lab at our site? We really need this. And it is changing the approach to problem solving that goes on in the company, right? If, if you give another set of tools to your employees and to your workforce, they're going to use them. And that's what we've done with the fab lab is we've given, we've equipped our, our workforce with a completely new set of tools that allows uh, techniques that are really uh, sort of compatible with, uh, you know, a lot of the innovation that we're trying to bring in uh, to the company, you know, sort of a lot of the processes that are used um, in the, in the startup world where there's design thinking or rapid iteration and prototyping, we're, we're seriously using those in, in large numbers now. And, and how many fab labs are there now across uh, the Northrop Grumman enterprise? Gosh, uh, it's, it's tough to keep count because they, they keep popping up. I think we're probably somewhere in the range of uh, seven to 10 at this point. Wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, what, what I thought was fascinating was, uh, you know, th- there was, uh, it's a mix of old and new, right? I mean, there are 3D printers, there are laser cutters, and then there's 1920s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s uh, equipment in there, right? I mean, the first thing somebody would ask is, well, you know, Tony, how much did, did this, does this cost? I know you're not at liberty to give us any specific figures, but give us sort of a ballpark estimate, right? I mean, Northrop Grumman is paying for the property space, right? And the electric, the electricity, uh, you might install a big ass fan. Uh, that <laughs> is the single largest fan I've ever seen in the space yeah, yeah. In, in my life, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, but, you know, because this is something new, something borrowed, something old, right? Give us, give us sort of a sense on how yeah. much money it takes so, to set something like this up because the dividends are sort of incalculable at the end oh, yeah. of the day. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of an idea. We have fab labs of different scales too. The one you saw is, is our largest. And at the other end is uh, an office space. that's maybe a thousand square feet crammed with machines. So really it, it, you got to think about it in terms of, of the resources that you need. You need some space, you need some machines, and you know these things are are constantly becoming more affordable. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff we have is, like you said, old. We've we've repurposed it from other areas. Uh, luckily, at Space Park, we're situated right next to our surplus depot, so I go over there frequently and say, "Hey, that milling machine looks nice. Let's bring that over to the fab lab." And they say, "Okay, here, sign this paper. It's yours." Um, so it's it's really being creative about how you uh, get those assets that you need. But the the, the you know, the, the thing that is the most valuable here and, and the hardest to quantify is the, the volunteer labor and uh, contributions that you get from the workforce. When you get people coming in and teaching classes, that is a force multiplier that you can't calculate. And we've also found, by the way, that if you pay people to teach a class, there's one level of effect. But if you encourage volunteerism and you know, you don't ask a lot from people. You say, you know, come in and teach a class for an hour and so on. You get a, a completely dedicated person who takes the time, who really cares about making sure that they're, they're 
transitioning their knowledge well, because they're transitioning their passion. And so I, I think when you think about the resources required, sure, there's, there's some capital that you need, but it's really encouraging the workforce to contribute. That's honestly the, the most valuable part of it. Uh, what is the neatest thing uh, you've seen anybody work on uh, in the space? Well, the neatest thing I can't tell you about, but uh, <laughs> I, I think one thing that's, that's really illustrative and really interesting is that there was a cockpit uh, mock-up that was built for, for an aircraft project, and it was built completely out of wood by one employee who was the engineer that was designing it. And wow. he took the concept, came into the fab lab over a couple of days, used all of our woodworking tools, and including our laser cutter and 3D printers, and fabricated this, this cockpit himself. And then had a pilot come in, sit down, give some feedback, and literally the next day, modifications were ready because he was able to use our rapid prototyping tools to within 24 hours take commentary and turn them into design changes that were manifested as physical artifacts. And to me, that's something that you can only do when you have a construct like this. Uh, and I should point out, right, I mean, uh, there was an important point of this uh, that should uh, be made clear, right? that you guys actually work on a lot of sensitive stuff here also, right? So it's not like it's open to uh, anybody to come in, right? I mean, this is for Northrop Grumman people to come in and work on Northrop Grumman stuff, including stuff that is sensitive or potentially classified. Uh, you know, as a defense contractor, we work on lots of things that we can't share. Right. Um, and having a space where we can work on things uh, in safety, if you will, is, is important. Uh, and let me ask you one last thing. The, you sound terrific, and you're using a monaural system, aren't you, Tony? I am. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about, right? Of course, you can't just use, you know, a, a digital microphone, can you? Well, okay. So, so this goes back to sort of my history. I, I'm an amateur radio uh, aficionado, and as such, I have a, a decent microphone for my radio, which has a, a tube amplifier for the preamp. And yeah, so I, I've got a, a decent setup here at home. <laughs> well, do you want to tell people about it for the audio files who are listening to this? Because I do occasionally have people tell me, you know, oh, you know, that guy was a little hot. The gain wasn't quite right. What are you running? Yeah, so I've got a, a Rode Procaster microphone and then a pop filter that I, I think I got it from Broadcast Warehouse. It's a really nice uh, little metal screen filter and then there's a suspension sort of mount for the microphone on a, a swing arm and then the the amplifier is an uh it's an older model it's an art tube mp preamp and then i'm going into a presonus uh computer interface I, I i love your blend of old and new tony thanks so very very much for joining us really appreciate it yeah thank you thanks for the time and now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.